Without mother, you really don't have a household. Without mother, you don't. I, I call women the soul of whatever organization they're involved in. I really think of them, think of you that way. Womanhood is so very vital to everything that we do. And it can only, see, the things of womanhood can only be done by women. That's what it means to be a woman. And men, we know this. We appreciate this. We uh, endorse this and have to learn to live with this. Then your civilization today, womanhood is under incredible attack. It always has been under attack, but it, the attack works this way today. Uh, if women and men are not absolutely interchangeable, then, uh, then women do not have the equal value or significance of men. And um, that's insane and satanic. It is an attack on your design, ladies. It is an attack on your wives' and daughters' designs, gentlemen. And we here at Preston City Bible Church really put women on the pedestal that where they belong. They are the, uh, the ones that must suffer childbirth, for example. They're the ones that must nurture those babies in their most vulnerable phase of life physically. As their brains, think about this in the question of whether women should have education as they raise children. Think about this, that, that old argument. I mean, everyone today, we, of course, we know educate women, but think about what will be said of us if we believe the Bible, then we shouldn't, women shouldn't be educated. Would you ever think that based on what we know of brain science today, the way a baby's brain develops and the billions of things that are happening every minute in a baby's brain, would you ever think that women shouldn't be educated if they're the primary nurturers and, and developers of that developing brain uh, from those earliest days? Are you kidding me? Right? Babies need to hear thousands and thousands of words. And who talks more by design, men or women? That's right. Part of the miracle of human language that we learn a language the first time we do, the way we do is we hear and our brain, our ears hear and it goes into our brain and we process and our brain is designed to learn a language from hearing it. And it's a miracle and no one really understands that, but I'm certain of it. We're designed to learn a language from hearing it. That baby hears those thousands of words a day because mom's got to carry him around because he can't walk. So he's got to be carried around all the time. And mom's talking and she's talking to the other kids or she's talking to whoever. And he's hearing his mother. And she is so central to the development of language over those first couple of years as, the, as those language circuits are, are built in that forming brain. That is a miracle and motherhood is partly responsible for it. I'd like to spend the whole day talking about all the things that God does through motherhood as we honor women. But actually what I want to do is benefit you today. I don't just want you to feel good about being a mother. I do want you to have that, but I want you to be benefited in the institution that has made you one. Uh, by God's design, motherhood is a second step after marriage. That's the design. And I know that that's not always the case in all of your cases. And God is gracious and not my point, but I'm talking about today, the divine institutions, the divine institutions begin with authority structures that God, their, their authority structures, God has delegated to us. And we have individual responsibility to be, uh, uh, industrious. So we're responsible for our labor as the beginning institution where God told man to be about his business, to do his work and in, in the very design in the garden of Eden. And then he created woman and told man he needed to help meet. And now there is this new institution of head and body, husband and wife, as described in first uh, Corinthians 11 and elsewhere called marriage. It is an authority structure and the authority is not equal between the two parties in marriage by divine design. And the 
husband is, as Paul will say, to portray the, um, the, the Lord Jesus and the, the wife is to portray the church. And that tells you there is a head and body, there is an authority and submission relationship in that design. And then you have, because of the blessings of marriage, you have children and there is a curse in our sinfulness associated with childbirth from the, we read in Genesis three and all the pain associated with it. And there is pain from then on, as you know, in the training and discipling of children. But, um, but it seems that the core relationship that establishes stability in the entire civilization is marriage. And so I want to talk a little bit today out of Ephesians chapter five about marriage. I've thought about this a lot. I've prayed about this. I believe that the time in which you live, your marriages are different now than they have been. Your marriages are different than they have been uh, in recent past because you've had to rearrange how you do your household the day-to-day -day life. Many of you are working from home and you have never done that before. Your entire life in marriage has been leaving, leaving the home and going off to work. And now you're working at home and now you're dealing with each other in the same space. And at first, maybe you, uh, you tried to pretend like you were still at work, but you know what? It's really nice to have company when you're by yourself. You're not by yourself usually at work. You're usually in an office with people or whatever the, the job is. Maybe your office is out uh, with the road crew, but you're with other people. Now the other people around you are your wife, are your husband, are your kids. And so this is new. This is different. And I think it's really valuable to revisit the idea of Christian marriage today in honor of this lockdown in honor of motherhood to equip you, to strengthen you, to do what God has for you to do in your spiritual life. If you'll turn to Ephesians chapter five, Ephesians chapter five, we find the beginning of the, the household code of Ephesians five and verse 22. And it, all, it goes all the way from Ephesians five, verse 22 to six, verse nine. And then you get the full armor of God passage. Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 9 is one chunk. And we just recently did it a few years ago, talking about the Christian spiritual life. It is called the household code because Paul is talking about all the authority relationships within a household in their day, in the, in the Roman Empire in that day. And it starts with wives and husbands and then children and parents and goes to other household members that are not in those categories, but would be today labor and management in a household business. In those days, it was slaves and masters. And in Roman slavery, it was an institution that was not completely different than the, the chattel slavery of, uh, of the British uh, colonies and, um, and eventually the United States uh, 200 years ago but it is, um, there are similarities. And, and so it's not altogether different, but it's not the same either. And so when we talk about slaves, I always have to put a little caveat that just let God's word be God's word. Don't try to force it into some sort of social paradigm that it's not talking about. He's talking about if you find yourself in one of these household roles in the Roman empire in that day, this is how you do it. This is how you live it. This is what you're supposed to be about. And he talks about everybody having their responsibility and he gives explicit instructions for what to do. Now, this is the how to live within a household that's a Christian household in Ephesians chapter five and six. You have the same uh, content in Colossians chapter three, another household code, chapters three and four, household code section. 
What gives? Why is uh, the Apostle Paul giving household code instructions? Because he's talking about the body of Christ, the church, and how we members, individual cells of this entire organism, how we're supposed to live in every aspect of our lives. Paul doesn't think that when the Ephesian Christians come together, they're one way. And then when they go home, that's a different uh, category of life. We live as who we are with integrity. So when we assemble, we're who we are. And when we're home, we're who we are. We're the same person. And some of you think of your lives in compartments. You don't know you do, but you do. You've got these compartments. You've got your church conduct and then your home conduct and then your work conduct and you're on the golf course conduct and how you think and speak and who you are. And here's the problem. Don't let Freud tell you. Don't let anybody tell you. Let the Bible tell you. Who you are is very connected to what you think and what you say and what you do. There's a consistency. And you can't say, well, I'm not really that guy just because I said that, you know, and that that's part of who you are. And you and and you, what I'm saying is your conduct matters. That's why Paul gives you the household code, household code. Conduct really matters. So that's what he's talking about. But it's really not fair to start at Ephesians 5 and verse 22 when we start with the wives and husbands in the household code. It's not fair because. Um, he is building in verse 22 from the prior command, the previous command in, uh, before you get to wives submitting to their husbands and children obeying their parents, before you get to household responsibilities, what he says changes everything. The, the basis on which you do this, it's the prior command of Ephesians 5.18b. 5.18a says, do not be drunk with wine for that is dissipation. 518b, the command that is the basis for the household code, is to be filled by the Spirit. To be so saturated with God's Word, so open in your willingness that God have His way, that the Holy Spirit of God who lives in you is influencing you through that saturated Word to think, say, and do what pleases God. In other words, to put on Christ, to think the thoughts of God after him, to walk worthy of your calling, to walk in the light, to abide in Christ, to walk the Christian way of life. That's what we're talking about. And it's empowered in Ephesians 5.18 by God, the Holy Spirit. And there are results directly, grammatically. There are results that Paul assumes he teaches under the apostolic authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. He teaches us the necessary results of being filled by the spirit. 5.19 says, 518, be filled by the Spirit with the result by 519, that you speak to one another. That's how you treat each other in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Your speech is now the thinking words, praise of God. You speak to one another in a way that encourages others in the praise and worship of God. Singing and making melody. The result is singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. So being filled by the Spirit is how I talk to one another, how I talk to the Lord. Singing and making melody in my heart. To the Lord doesn't mean I have to be that person that's always singing out loud uh, in the next cubicle over. Hey, uh, you know, I've got to get some noise canceling headphones to, to think. No, no. It means you're singing, making melody in your heart. Your heart, your life is a song of praise to God, to the Lord. And then he says in verse, um, verse 19, let's see, uh, verse 20, giving thanks always when always giving thanks. The result of being filled by the Spirit is all the time, whenever I'm filled by the Spirit, giving thanks to God, the Father, 
What for? For all things. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, to God, even the Father. Always give me thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God the Father. Paul prays Trinitarian prayers. Paul is a Trinitarian. We're Trinitarians. We believe and worship in Jesus, but we also believe and worship the Father. And it is Jesus who has given us access to the Father. So we're giving thanks to God in the name of God the Son, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for all things. This is the result of your filling by the Spirit. And then in verse 21, how do we relate to each other? We insist on getting our own way. I'm going to have it my way. No, we don't force our way. We're Christians. And for, so verse 21, being subject one to another in the fear of Christ, being subject one to another. Now, some, as I've told you before, will say, well, there you got it. Mutual submission in the relationship. So there is no authority. That's not what he means. And that's not what he says. And that's why I translate that being subject one to another. When you are in a higher position of authority, there is a way in which you subject yourself to those under your authority. And it doesn't mean that they make the decisions. It means that you are there to serve them. Authority doesn't mean that you are the privileged one and they are the underprivileged one. It means you are the one with the responsibility. And when the responsibility carries life and death consequences, you find yourself as the servant of those whom you lead. That's the pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is why he donned the towel in John 13 and washed his disciples' feet. He's the Lord and master. And so he leads by that example. So don't, don't find something in verse 21 about authority that isn't there. You never find God tearing down authority structures. He doesn't tear down authority structures um, uh, to, to have some sort of uh, egalitarian Marxist dream. The authority structures remain um, but they are sanctified and the curse on them it, it, as much as you're walking by the spirit is removed and you don't have to lord it. In fact, you're commanded not to lord it over your wives and we don't lord it over anyone who's allotted to our charge in the church. We, we submit one to another. We are respectful and we respect most especially we fear the Lord and the spirit of God resides in each believer. So the subjecting one another, being subject one to another in the fear of Christ means that I treat you as the Lord wants me to, and you treat me as the Lord wants you to. And we have that fear of the Lord and how we treat each other. And it's a totally different way of thinking about interpersonal relationships. Okay. So. It's marriage. It's Mother's Day. I want you to have a good marriage. You're locked down. You're having to communicate in ways you, and, and to the extent you haven't had to or had the privilege of doing. There are blessings associated with it and challenges associated with it. And you have Christians with sinful natures connecting to each other. And it's challenging. It's true. For, for many marriages in our church are struggling, or I shouldn't say struggling, I should, some are, but, um, but it's always true. Marriage is hard. And on this Mother's Day, I really want to equip you to think about your responsibility in marriage. Look what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also 
is the head of the church, he himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. A submission. Subject or submit hupotasso means to place under. That's what that means. And so submitting is placing yourself under. And that, that is the command that the Apostle Paul issues on the basis of being filled by the Spirit. If you have a spiritual life, that's where it needs to be. If your state is walking in the light, as he is in the light, if you're walking with the Lord, if you're saturated with the word, then there should be this impact in your authority structure called marriage and wives should be submitting to their husband's authority as the church submits to the Lord. That's the attitude. That's the picture. Now that principle, I mean, some people have I just lost you because you're like, that's impossible. You don't know my husband. I've heard that before. You don't know how hard that would be. Uh, uh, do I have to do it in everything? Uh, you know, uh, what if he wants me to like, people always try to find uh, exceptions that will prove that we can't read Ephesians anymore or something. And my answer to all these is that you have an institution. You have an institution called marriage that God has designed and it's his design. And your problem is not with me or with Paul. It's with him for his design. And if you find yourself in this role of wife, this is your job. That's the point is you have a work to do. And this is the key to what I'm calling a good marriage. The key to a good marriage is not worrying about what you're getting out of it. The key to a good marriage is two people doing their job, two people doing their job. That would be a good marriage. Let me read on. We've, we've read the wives responsibility. Listen to what Paul says about husbands. Husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ladies, that's, I mean, happy Mother's Day. That's a pretty sweet thought that a husband would be, be so caring for his wife that he would be self-sacrificial in the same pattern of the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, that's what you're being told to submit to, if you will. A husband getting it right is an easy thing. It's, it's easy to submit to him because he's like Jesus. He's self-sacrificial. He's making the right choice for your best. He is loving you as Christ loves his church. And this is the objective that Jesus had in giving himself up so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. He's setting the church apart to himself after necessary preparation, after providing what is necessary for the church to grow and to have a right standing with him. That's the way the Lord Jesus behaves. He, he makes everything uh, it gives, gives the church everything it needs to be what it needs to be in submission to him. And that's his love because love meets the needs. That's the love thing. If you love someone in Christian love, it is the John three sixteen love that says for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It is the giving that is the expression of the love. If you don't give, you're not loving. If you're not doing the thing that's necessary. If you're not wanting the best for the other, you're not loving them. And that's very different from, Hey, uh, do you care about me? Yes, I care about you. Ooh, that feels good. I love that. 
That's not love we're talking about. We're not talking about what do you get from it. We're talking about what are you responsible to give. And that's Christian love. That's what Jesus did in verse 26. And why do you do that in verse 27? So that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. He did everything for the church because he wanted the church for himself. There is a sanctified, selfish motivation, if you will. Selfish sounds bad, but he wants the church for himself. That's how Jesus thinks. The husband loves his wife self-sacrificially because he wants her. It doesn't mean that he does something to please her so that she'll do something to please him. It means that he wants the relationship. So he acts on her best in the interest of that relationship. And that takes wisdom and that takes patience. And above all, it takes selflessness. You're selfless in your care for her. And the reason you're selfless is because you want her. And that I hope, hopefully that doesn't sound like a contradiction to you. It is the center of our motivation. We want the best. We want to enjoy. We want the good thing in life. This is how you get it. You self-sacrifice in the interest of her best. Man, that's what we are called to do that he might present her to himself, uh, the church to himself in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. And so, th so the Lord is doing his work so that the church can come to him. And so verse 28, so husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ also does the church. See, he sees this connection between the church benefiting and himself benefiting because it's his body. So it, don't be too much on the separation of the two. I'm loving her, you know, self-sacrificially without benefit. I'm doing that. And, and I know that the very core that that benefits me because she's we're one flesh. It's, it's the way that the Lord blesses the church. <clears throat> For this reason, verse 31, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. Two shall become one flesh. We have in our church family a soon uh, marriage. Several, several uh, marriages will shortly happen in our church family. And, um, and they're going to leave father and mother. Bam, gone. The father and mother are out of the picture. And that's what uh, Genesis 2.24 says. And that's what is being quoted here by the Apostle Paul. Because a marriage is a new country of two. That may eventually be more than two, uh, you know, and that's what we, you know, the nuclear family, but it is a new institution. It is not beholden for its function on either of the prior families that the two people came from. It's its own thing. It's its own institution. Do we still honor our father and mother? Absolutely. And fathers and mothers-in-law must be honored. Okay. And that's, that's part of the responsibility we take on, but marriage is its own country. You're a country of two. And it's, I also think, it, you know, I described marriage as a, as a stainless steel blasting chamber. Uh, some of you know the, what I mean by that better than others. But what I mean is especially your marriage can handle the pressure, whatever pressure it's in, it can handle it. The commitment that you have that establishes the covenant of marriage that we said we would do this until we die, it can take the pressure, but you shouldn't be testing it to its limits. You shouldn't be stressing and struggling against the bounds of your, of your covenant. You should be responding to God and seeking his best and looking for his instruction and his direction in even your marriage. Yes, yours too can benefit from the word of God and the power of God, the Holy Spirit. 
Paul says in verse 32 of Ephesians 5, this mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to Christ and the church. So the mystery of Jesus loving the church and getting it for himself and loving the church as his own body. This is a great mystery. Nevertheless, each individual among you is uh, also is to love his own wife, even as himself. And the wife must see to it that she respects, submits to her husband. I'm trying to encourage you today about what I call a good marriage, a good marriage. And what does that look like? A good marriage is two people, two people. And you might notice in my drawing that um, each one has a treasure chest. When I first did this diagram, some of you might've seen it as the buckets, but the buckets start to look like trash cans. And I don't like that. These are treasure chests and both people have a treasure chest and don't measure them. They're the same size. The treasure chest that you have gentlemen is the same size and issue as the one your wife has, except hers is hers and yours is yours. And here's the most important thing I can say based on Ephesians five. And this is kind of a diagrammatical, diagrammatical explanation of Ephesians five. You're not supposed to look in your bucket. You're not supposed to be worried about what happens to you. You're supposed to be focused on her best. And that is the Ephesians chapter five, verse 25, Christian love that a man is to initiate toward his wife. It does not say wives love your husbands. It says husbands love your wives. And so when you want to talk about Christianity, the Christian responsibility of self-sacrificial Christ-like love toward another, a husband is to initiate this toward his wife. Now, some have said that the Bible doesn't say wives love your husbands because uh, psychological reasons or some other thing. The reason it doesn't say wives love your husbands, even though you're to love one another as Christ loved you in John 13, 34. The reason it doesn't say it is because women, if you will have a husband who does this, who initiates this Christian love, you will have plenty to submit to. And in response to Jesus Christ's command in John 13 and your husband's example in, in his obedience to Ephesians 5, you'll have plenty to go on as an example for you to love him self-sacrificially. But this is the way Christian love works. I look at what the other person needs. We just had uh, Hebrews chapter 10, 25, consider 10, 24, consider one another to the storing up of love and good works. I look at what the other person needs. I look in their box, what's in your treasure chest. And I say, what are you needing? What are you missing? What's the thing that you need? And that is the, the question that a disciple maker has to ask. What does the other person need? An unbeliever needs Jesus Christ and eternal life. He needs the justification that comes only by faith in the person of Jesus Christ and his work on the cross as we just celebrated. We need the righteousness that comes by imputation at the point and only at the point of faith in Christ and the new birth that comes at the point of faith in Christ and all that comes with that and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and, the, and all that God does when we first believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. That's what the unbeliever needs. What does the believer need? The, the believer needs to draw near to God with the full assurance of faith. The, the believer needs to walk worthy of his or her calling. This wife in this marriage needs to be saturated with the scripture, be filled by the spirit. She needs to submit to her husband. She needs all of the things that God has said she needs and that God has provided for her. And you husbands have an awesome opportunity to initiate self-sacrificial Christian love by facilitating and providing in as much as you can those things. Honey, we should pray together. Is maybe your way of loving your wife enough to encourage her in her prayer life. For example, I'm not telling that's not, that's not 
Don't write that one down. Let's, let's tell our wife, honey, let's pray together. I'm saying, what does she need is a spiritual question. And self-sacrificial love looks for the need of the other. So you start looking over there and what are her needs? And it isn't just spiritual. You better be feeding her. You better be providing security. You better be providing shelter. All the things that you as a husband need to do to meet those needs. But understand, we're really good at the physical things. We forget to our horror, to our detriment. We forget the spiritual things. Do you know that your wife is going to the judgment seat of Christ? She will not stand there and say, well, but he, she will stand there and he will say, here's what I think of what you did with the time I gave you and the Holy Spirit's power and the word that was available to you. Here's my evaluation of the life that you lived this side of your believing in me as my, as your savior. And he's going to render a, a recompense for the deeds done in her body, whether good or bad. And you are setting her up. And as much as you have a role in her life, you are part of the setup for the judgment seat of Christ. When a husband tells his wife, I don't really like to get up and go to church. When he tells his wife, I don't really think it's really that important. I mean, really, you know, when, when a man says the word of God isn't as important to me as it should be, and he doesn't provide an example for his wife, what is he doing to himself at the judgment seat of Christ? And what is he doing by way of influence to her and the children with the judgment seat of Christ? So you think eternally think spiritually about what really matters. This is a good marriage, a man that is making disciples of his family because that's his mission, because that's what they need. And he is initiating with Christian love this way. He is focused therefore on what's best for her and he is disregarding himself. And that's why I've got these buckets. You're looking at what does she need? What's in that box over there? Oh, she's low on encouragement. She's, she needs a little bit, she needs some clothes. She needs whatever it is. Ladies, you're like, well, she needs some shoes. I mean, whatever. Whatever her needs really are, you're thinking about it and you're not saying, well, I don't feel appreciated. That's in your box. That's your treasure chest. That's her job. That's not your job. So do your job. This is the best thing I could ever tell a man. That's a real man. A real man here is do your job or the concept of duty presented that you've got something that you're responsible for. A real man is very sensitive to that and says, wait, wait, wait. Wait a second. Is that indeed my duty? I'm going to get on that. And that is, that is, that is like, uh, that's the best encouragement that I can ever offer a, a, a man and a real woman, by the way, too. The Proverbs 31 woman understands duty and says, I am on it. I need, I have a responsibility. I'm going to cover my responsibility. Well, man, your responsibility is her treasure chest. What is what's in there? And you need to go restock it. Women are responsible in Ephesians chapter five, verse 22, to respond to their husbands. If he is initiating Christian love to you, it is unsubmissive to say, no, I will not receive it. You are responsible to receive that Christian concern. I didn't say you have to, to treat his overture as a, a necessarily satisfactory affection for you to be affectionate. I'm not talking about those broken patterns that we're going to let emotions resolve after we've thought these things through. I'm talking about when Christian love is extended, it needs to be received. When Jesus offers his self-giving, you take it. When your husband that you're covenantally bound to submit to leads with love, you need to follow him with this. And that's called reception. 
You need to also replicate this. And I know that you have to replicate his Christian love because Jesus told you in John 13, 34 to love one another. That'd be your husband, just as I've loved you. That's a replicating Christian love. When your husband is loving you as Christ loves the church, women, you are responsible to love him as Christ has loved you. And that's a replication. So you would have the example of Christ and of your husband initiating. And now you take that example and you replicate. And there you have it. You are now concerned about his treasure chest. You're not looking in yours just like he's not looking in his, because that would be uh, cheating. You would be taking resources of attention and concentration and focus and effort and all those things. And you'd be looking in the wrong thing. You'd be worried about the wrong thing. It's very easy to get off mission by looking at something that's a distraction. Like, well, is she loving me? Men, you don't look in your treasure chest. It's not your problem. The Lord will provide your needs and he'll do it in his way. And so you trust in him. You need to see your job as obedience to Jesus Christ, as obedience to the word of God that's clearly stated. It organizes your life so beautifully. Don't worry about whether she's responding. You worry about whether you're responding to Jesus, to his commands, to what he's told you to do. You do your job. You do your job. And if two people are doing their job, I have drawn a picture. I've even drawn a picture of a good marriage. This is a good Christian marriage that I've drawn. Now, wait a second, Pastor Dave. All the women on Mother's Day have uh, something to say about this. And I know you do. And your concern is, uh, Pastor Dave, he doesn't do his part. I'm always trying to do my part. Uh, his, uh, his, his treasure chest overfloweth and he doesn't even knoweth. <laughs> right? He is, he is so good. He has it so good and I'm so attentive. And he is completely dismissive and ignoring his responsibilities. And, and to that, I will say this. That's not a good marriage. I'm with you. That's not a good marriage, but it's a heck of a good outcome at the judgment seat of Christ for you. If you do your job, Jesus Christ is pleased. We read about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 9 and 10. We have it as our ambition, whether in the body or out of the body. That means here on earth or absent from the body and present with the Lord to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the Bema, the judgment seat of Christ, to receive recompense for the deeds done in the body, whether good or bad. Women, if you are the self-giving, responding to Jesus, Christian woman that you're supposed to be, and you're concerned for your husband, and you're expressing that Christian love toward your husband, that self-giving as a wife is supposed to toward her husband, if you're being a Christian in the specific way of wife to husband, and you are not receiving leadership from him, if you're not receiving the direction that his love should be providing you, if he is not doing his job, that is horrible. It is not a good marriage, but that is not grounds for divorce. You do not need to stop being married to that. And I pray that he'll wake up and stop wasting his eternal blessings at the judgment seat of Christ. And I pray that he'll stop being the the test for your spiritual growth. Some of you are tested and developed and matured in hardship and hurt and pain in marriage. But if that's the case, if that's where you're called, where you've been appointed to serve the Lord in faith, 
to be Sarah's daughters and proceed without fear and trust in God despite a failed husband, then you, you just understand there is eternal reward for your choices. There's eternal reward. Now, I'm telling you, this is a picture of a good marriage. It's easy to draw. It's also easy to say, wait a second, self-check. Am I looking at what I'm getting? Or am I looking at what she needs? Ladies, are you looking at what you're getting? And I don't really like how I feel right now. Or are you looking at what your job is and trusting the Lord to backfill your broken emotions with the satisfaction that he's pleased with you, with the joy of the spirit of God that comes from occupation with Christ, with the, the fruit of the spirit that is peace and patience and gentleness. Are you, are you walking toward the Lord and how you're doing your job as a wife or as a husband? See, th this is why the idea of Christian obedience as legalism, that people say, well, you can't talk about obedience or commands because that's legalism. If you tell people that, there is no, absolutely no way for them to connect to most of the New Testament. And they are not going to be disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ because disciples obey all that Jesus commanded. And lo, I'm with you to the end of the age. See, this is a matter not of your, how you feel in the relationship or do I get what I feel like I need. Jesus is in charge of you getting what you need. You can read about that in Matthew chapter six. What you need to do is say, am I doing what he told me to do with the resources that he gave me? Oh, I just don't know if I can do that. I don't know, man says, I don't know if I can love her self-sacrificially. You just don't know what I'm dealing with over there. I mean, I got nothing to work with. Guys, you have the Holy Spirit of God in you. You can do anything and everything God wants you to do with infinite power because God is in you. You absolutely can love her self-sacrificially because he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And that's the, this is, I'm talking about the Christian life. This will be an awesome Christian marriage. You young people that aren't married yet and looking at it, you're getting ready to get married. This is it. This is your, this is your job. You figure out your job and you don't worry about whether she's doing her job, gentlemen, ladies, you figure out your job. You don't worry so much whether you're, whether you're, uh, your treasure chest is being populated. You do your job and you trust in the Lord and you do it for his sake. And you do it as worship to God first and foremost. And you don't, and you watch and see if you don't have blessing regardless of the good marriage. And you watch and see if you don't see God bringing a good marriage because of his grace. This is my prayer for all of you. I pray on this mother's day and every day that you have a good marriage only you and your spouse and God and those in your household know. And sometimes you share with me that, hey, this isn't a good marriage and I am a, a vault. You can tell me and, I, and it'll, it'll stay between us. And I can help in some ways with encouragement, with communication patterns, with this kind of think, thought process. When a man is not doing his job, I'm always going to challenge him. Hey, let's think through what our job is as husbands. When a wife is coming to me with, hey, my husband's not doing his job. I'm always going to think through and say, what is your responsibility that even if he's failing, well, you won't be failing. Because my focus and your focus, we need to be fixated on the Lord Jesus Christ. And what does he want from us in everything? Because we know he's got everything good for us. What does he want from us? What does obedience to him look like? May you be blessed and encouraged as you serve God in all of your household relationships. May Preston City Bible Church continue to glorify God as we fix our attention on the Lord Jesus Christ, even in this crisis. Our Father, we 
Thank you for this ministry of the gospel, for the challenge that you've put before us to walk worthy of our calling. Thank you that we could proclaim Jesus' death until he comes. And I pray, Father, that next time that we do this, it'll be in person. It'll be together. But Father, whenever it is your timing for us to reassemble, we crave your wisdom and the protection of our church family. There are people in our church family, Father, who are vulnerable to this virus, who if they contract it, uh, may well die. We don't want them to get it. Father, there is, like all viruses, a need for the general population to go ahead and process through this thing and develop immunities, antibodies. That's true also. In every moment of our lives, Father, there are so many uncertainties, so many things we can't know. We never really have all the facts. Only you have all the facts. So when we come to the end of ourselves and the end of the, the scientific reporting and the end of what we can know, Father, we rest our trust only in you. Father, I pray for anyone who may be in the hearing of my voice that doesn't have a relationship with you, the only God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent through your son. I pray that they would consider the words of life. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. These have been written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you might have life through his name. Father, bring many to yourself through these wonderful words of life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.